Welcome into another edition of NBA Sound System. Gil McGregor joined with my guy, Kyle Irving. KI, it's been a busy day. How are you at the end of it? I'm feeling fulfilled, actually. Like, <laughs> fulfilled. I wasn't okay. sure. Yeah, fulfilled is the word I'm going with. I wasn't sure that was going to be, be the case after the trade deadline. I mean, you know, not a lot of superstars moved around. I mean, th- there really weren't any on the block in the first place. They didn't get moved. But there were a lot of moves in the margins that I was pretty impressed with, and I'm excited to break it all down. Yeah, so obviously, elephant in the room. We are coming to you a little bit later uh, than we normally do. So appreciate all of you who do subscribe and get this podcast. If you listened last week, told you this was coming a little bit later. But we did so to react to the NBA trade deadline in 2024. Um, by my count or by Keith Smith's count on Twitter, there were 20 trades involving 23 teams, like Kyle said. No major names moved, but there were major moves made, if that makes sense. Um, and I didn't even think of that. I just kind of came together as I was talking through what happened. Um, that being said, I guess the first question I ask you, are you more surprised by what did happen or by who wasn't moved and what didn't happen during this trade deadline? Um, I'm actually going to go with by the players who weren't moved. Like I really okay. was kind of expecting DeJounte Murray to eventually – like I just would have thought that when the trade deadline got closer, that asking price would go down enough to the point where the Hawks would feel comfortable dealing them, dealing him. Um, I was kind of hopeful that maybe the Bulls would part ways with either like Demar Derozan or uh, Alex Caruso. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously Zach Levine was a name that was uh, on the trade block for a while, and, and he was supposed to be one of the bigger stars that was going to get moved, but then you know he goes down with an injury and he's out uh, for the season after getting surgery. So you know his name kind of gets pulled off the trade block. Um, we we're expecting the Lakers to get involved somewhere. They decided to sit on the sidelines and wait until the offseason to make moves. Um, so I was kind of surprised by all of those things. Um, but at the same time, you know, kind of like I said in the intro, like this wasn't supposed to be uh, the trade deadline that we got last year mm-hmm. where Kyrie Irving got moved to the Mavericks, right. Kevin Durant out of nowhere gets moved to the Suns. Like there wasn't even the thought that superstars of that caliber, that level were going to be traded. So I think everybody kind of went into it expecting it to be exactly what it was. And then it kind of lived up to the hype in terms of, you know, I mean, like you said, there was a bunch of trades that went down, even though they're not superstar names, like they're guys that are going to make an impact when the season actually matters down the home stretch and in the playoffs. So I'm excited to, you know, kind of see how these moves actually um, come to fruition for the teams. And I'm curious to see if they actually make any sort of impact at all in, in terms of the title race. Absolutely. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more uh, about what didn't happen uh, later in the episode, but I, I do think it's important to talk about what did happen, especially because it's our trade deadline reaction show when we talked about big names. So I guess the first question is, who do you think the best player that was traded today was? And, and I say that to say I can I can give the options. I think that there's a few easy, clear choices, I guess you could talk about. Buddy Hill goes from Indiana to Philadelphia. Um, the Knicks make some upgrades. Add Boyan Bogdanovich and Alec Burks from the Pistons. The Mavericks had a busy trade deadline. Added P.J. Washington from the Hornets and Daniel Gafford from the Wizards. And then the Hornets also sent Gordon Hayward to the Thunder. I was a little surprised that that's what the Thunder ended up doing with that chip of Davis Berton's contract. Don't hate the move for them. I actually kind of like the move for them, but just was a little surprised that that happened. So did I name one of the best players that was traded uh, today or, or, or it was somebody else? 
I think you did. I think the best player that was traded today is Buddy Heald. Like just okay. for what he brings to the 76ers, that was the move. And it's kind of the one that started the entire domino effect of, That's true. all right, like, you know, now all of a sudden GMs are pulling the trigger and, and <laughs> Woj and Shams are firing from the hip from their drafts. But, um, you know, I, I feel like Buddy Heald is someone that really just perfectly fits what the 76ers need. They're trying to, uh, you know, find somebody to replace the 35 points per game they're missing from Joel Embiid, um, you know, going down with that menisc- meniscus injury. And I'm not sitting here saying Buddy Heald's going to fulfill all 35 points per game. But, uh, you know, he's someone that's going to fit really nicely next to Embiid and Tyrese Maxey, Tobias mm-hmm. Harris. Once that roster gets back to full strength, um, I thought it was interesting. I pulled it up today. Uh, ever since Buddy Heal got drafted in 2016, he has the second most made threes in the NBA next to Stephen Curry. So, it's I mean, nuts. this guy's been doing it for a while. Uh, you know, he's been one of the most consistent shooters, uh, knocking down threes at a 40% clip for his entire career. Um, you know, to have a player of that caliber to space the floor around dominant scorers like Joel Embiid, uh, around slashers like Tyrese Maxey, like that is exactly what Philly needed. And I felt like that was a great get for the 76ers uh, as they try and, you know, make a, a push for an Eastern Conference playoff run. Absolutely. I think when you think about the deal and I guess like the the, the details of that deal, I think they traded Marcus Morris, um, Furkan Korkmaz, uh, and some second round draft picks. So they didn't really part ways with anybody from their rotation in order to get him. Um, and, and thinking about the shooting that he brings, and you mentioned Joel Embiid, I think it's important to note, I think Joel Embiid is going to get reevaluated after that meniscus injury in about four weeks' time. So that speaks to what was done to his knee. Uh, I, I, we did a medical analysis over at the Sporting News, and they said that, you know, when you have a partial meniscectomy and part of your meniscus is taken out, you can get right back on your feet and you're back playing in maybe six to eight weeks time. So they're preparing for a playoff push is what that tells me. They're not, they're not giving up on this season. I don't know if Joel Embiid will come back playing at the same level that he was playing at, but I've said this before. I'll say it again. If Joel Embiid is 80 to 85% of what he was before the injury, he's still better than (laughs) the majority of the NBA. So they should be all right. But adding Buddy Hill is huge for them. Um, You know, everybody's kind of trying to catch up to what the Celtics have going on. They were kind of, I mean, they made a big deal before the trade deadline and, and getting Xavier Tillman from the Grizzlies and made some small deals in the margins. Um, and we'll talk more about them later on too. But just kind of seeing how these teams in the Eastern Conference, these contending teams in the Eastern Conference are kind of jostling for position behind the Celtics who are kind of far and away going to take that one seed. But looking at New York, who's playing good basketball and made a big deal, we talked about w- with the guys they brought in today. Um, the Cavs pretty much stood pat, but they're playing absolutely incredible basketball um over the past month and month and a half eight weeks um so now for the 76ers to make that deal and and try to keep up with what's going on i think that's a big one i'm looking at the western conference i'm really intrigued uh you know by what dallas did that a really active uh trade deadline parted ways with grant uh with grant williams and seth curry in order to bring in pj washington i made a a a remark that probably only i would make immediately and that pj washington who's from dallas heads to dallas Grant Williams and Seth Curry, who are from Charlotte, head to Charlotte. It's got to be like the biggest homecoming trade that there ever has been. Maybe I'm wrong, but it probably is. Um, but thinking about what the Mavs have going on, the way that Luca's playing at an MVP level, Kyrie Irving's back in the lineup, adding a guy like PJ Washington, um, you know, six foot seven, play small ball five here in Charlotte, probably not the best way to utilize him, but he can do it. He's proven that he's been able to do it before. He can knock shots down. I saw him score 43 points. Um, 
just about week week and a half, two weeks ago. Um, so that that move intrigues me, and I think you know Daniel Gafford, another guy who uh, had plenty of dunks this year while playing, you know, with the guard rotation in Washington. And no disrespect to those guards in Washington, but they're not Luka Doncic. So I think that Dallas, the fact that you know they came out of the gate surprisingly hot, came back down to earth a little bit. The moves they made should infuse some life into them, and they should be able to kind of move back into that range to be jostling for a solid playoff spot and not necessarily being a play-in tournament team. Yeah, I completely agree. I loved what Dallas did. I mean, like, you know, you could say they gave up a decent amount and someone like Grant Williams, who Mm. did they get rid of him too early? Did they give up on him Mm. too early? Like, you know, you could argue about that, but I don't really, I don't really have any issue with the deal. And then Seth Curry, who wasn't really in their rotation, uh, light protected first round pick, like, those are the types of moves that you have to make and they need to shore up their front court. I mean, Derek yeah. Lively, the guy is just, he's really, really good. He's like really talented. I was very impressed with what I've seen from Derek Lively so far this season. But, you know, even going back to his days at Duke, like he's just had these random little injuries that keep him off of the court. He had a calf issue uh, before he even got onto the court at Duke. Uh, this year, he's been out with an ankle injury. Uh, he has a broken nose now. Like he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. And Dwight Powell and Max Kleber have not stepped up the way that we've seen them step up in the past. And it felt like the Mavericks need to kind of shore up that front court and they go get Daniel Gafford, who, in my opinion, is, you know, one of the more underrated bigs in this league. You know, he's extremely athletic. Uh, he moves well. He can block shots. He rebounds, catch lobs. Um, and then you have someone like PJ Washington, who, like you said, he played small ball five in Charlotte. I'm not really sure that's the way that they're going to use him in Dallas. Mm-hmm. But the idea that he can pick and pop the way that he can score from, you know, the mid range, he can clean up and do the dirty work around the basket. Like, I'm very curious to see how he fits next to someone like Luka Doncic. And obviously, Luka elevates the play of everybody. So to your point with Gafford, it's like, you know, he's he's making things happen with the guards and the, and the guard play that they had uh, in Washington. No disrespect to, you know, Tyus Jones and, and Jordan Poole and, uh, you know, Denny Avdia, guys that are making plays for them. But, you know, I mean, they're not Luka Doncic. And Luka's going to find a way to get the most out of him. Um, and, and I feel the same way about P.J. Washington. Like, he's someone who, you know, playing next to LaMelo Ball is – uh, obviously that's a blessing in its own. He's an incredible right. playmaker, but there's also the way that they were playing basketball in Charlotte. There's a lot of mouths feeding a lot of guys that were trying to get theirs. Miles Bridges mm-hmm. wants shots at the time. Terry Rozier wanted shots before mm-hmm. he got traded. LaMelo is getting his up. So, you know, I, I think that it's going to be a different, a very different role, but possibly a better role for PJ Washington uh, in Dallas. Absolutely. No, I think that's a good way to put it. Cause thinking about like, I mean, obviously, when LaMelo was healthy, that's the other part too. Like we saw how PJ Washington can play off of a elite playmaker, um, you know, with playing next to LaMelo ball, but that didn't happen often. So now he goes from an elite playmaker to a generational playmaker, which I think is a, a leap that would benefit anybody. I guess one more, we're, we're talking about Hornets guys and um, Gordon Hayward. I think I saw a stat that I think he ended up playing in 42% of the games, possible regular season games with the Hornets during his time uh in charlotte it just kind of unfortunate uh that he was unable to stay on the floor various injuries random injuries like got his finger caught in somebody's jersey one time and fractured his hand that fit his finger that way like somebody rolled on his foot he sprained his ankle like yeah, when he was on the floor he was, he was effective and impactful this year and i think that the thunder that's a great get for them because i, I think a part of the injury thing has to do with how much the team's relying on you and he's not as young as he once was so to slide into a very specific role that fits and is aligned with what the thund- Thunder are trying to do and what the Thunder do, and also adding a guy who's played, you know, in high leverage moments as a as a veteran for a younger team who I have a handful of guys who have played in the playoffs, but ne- not necessarily gone as far. Not like Gordon Hayward's gone super far, but still, like 
having a guy like that, I think is beneficial for them. I, I made this comment last year. I thought the Grizzlies could benefit from a guy like Gordon Hayward because for all that he isn't durability wise, he still is a very solid pro in clutch situations, playmaker, scoring, what he does is what he does. And I think that that's going to be something we look back at and say, OKC was was doing something there. Presti was cooking. Yeah, definitely. I actually, you and I talked about how we were going to bring up an under the radar move. I don't know if that's necessarily under the radar, but mm-hmm. that's exactly where I was headed with it. Like, I love that acquisition from the Thunder. It also is kind of just a move that's like, you know, you said, like you said, they've been sitting on that Davis Bertans trade chip for a while. Right. And they finally cashed it in. And like, that's kind of their way of being like, hey, we're serious. Like, we're a contender yep. this year. We we feel like we could win the Western Conference. And I really like the addition of Gordon Hayward. I mean, he's been out with a calf injury, but there's part of me that feels like he <laughs> probably could have been back on the court if the Hornets weren't kind of waiting for the right moment to see if they could trade him. Same deal with when they got Kyle Lowry. Mitch Kupchak came out and he said, out of respect for Lowry, where he's not going to suit up for a, in a Hornets jersey until we figure out what we're going to do with him at the trade deadline. And I feel like Hayward with his calf injury was kind of the same way where they were just waiting to see what they might be able to get for him, you know, how they might be able to facilitate a deal to get the most out of him. And he goes to OKC where, you know, now, I mean, he's a massive upgrade from someone like Kenrich Williams, for example, mm-hmm. who has been playing, you know, everyday minutes in that Thunder rotation. Like, I don't know if Gordon Hayward is going to slot right into the starting lineup. I, I don't think he will. I think he's going to be more of a bench player uh, playing behind Josh Giddy and, and Lou Gensdort. Um, you know, at, at those four positions, but this is someone who was averaging almost 15, five and five before he right. got injured. Like when he is on the court, he's still really good. And he's an offensive weapon who can score a little bit. He can, you know, spot up and shoot. He can score off of cuts. He can create for others off the dribble. Like he's someone who you put the ball in his hands and he's going to make good things happen on the offensive end. And then you just talk about that veteran prowess as a multi-time all-star who's been in a lot of different locker, locker rooms, a lot of different situations. Like he can help elevate that young Thunder team from being a dangerous, fun team that, you know, might get knocked out in the second round of the playoffs to a team that gets over the hump and makes it to the Western Conference Finals and maybe beyond. And I right. mean, again, all of this is if he can stay healthy. And that has been the right. biggest question mark in Gordon Hayward's career um, to this point. But you know, I really like that addition by the Thunder. And more so than anything, I just like the message that it sends to the locker room, the organization of, you know, we're here to compete right now. Even though we're a little ahead of schedule, we believe we can get it done this year. Yeah, I was a little surprised. I think people talked about it some that they thought that they were just going to try and show up their front court rotation with like a big, like a traditional bruising big, just because people are worried about Chet Holmgren's size or lack thereof and kind of what would happen if they face a traditional big man. But I, I saw... Some people kind of pointing out that they're doubling down on doing what they do. And, and those teams who have those lumbering bigs are going to have to adjust to the Thunder and their uh, unique style of play and the way they play. You know, you mentioned their starting lineup and the fact that they have Lou Dort and Josh Giddy and um, Jalen Williams, Jalen J-Dub Williams in, in, in the starting lineup and kind of the way they do things um, that makes other teams adjust and, and they have a difficult time uh, guarding them. So I think that, you know, they are in some ways playing with house money. Um, they're ahead of schedule on what they're doing, and, and that's just kind of gives them an opportunity, like you know, to to say like if if you you simulate things a hundred times, the Thunder might have gone from there being three different outcomes that let lead them to the finals to maybe there being seven or eight, and just to increase your opportunities that way. And it could be more than that, but they do have to contend with the Clippers and the Nuggets are still out there, um, you know, and the Timberwolves as well, some other teams in the Western Conference who would have something to say, like the Suns and things like that, but. That being said, I think the, the Thunder did increase their chances of making a really deep run, um, and they really didn't risk that much to do it. And I apologize, and I'm setting myself for a pun uh, for a pun here. 
I didn't mean to steal your thunder. If that was your underrated move, <laughs> is, is that what you're telling me that, that it was? Yeah, it was my underrated move, but I'm actually going to pivot now and I'm going to okay. go with a maybe not so under the radar move that we didn't get okay. to talk about much in the okay. first go around. And that is Bojan Bogdanovic and Alec Burks yes. to the Knicks, man. Yep. Like that, I mean, they had to give up Quentin Grimes, who wasn't in the rotation anyway. Yep. And I like that. I like that the Pistons got him out of that deal. Like it makes it feel like they got something because otherwise it's Fournier's expiring contract, Malachi Flynn, Ryan Archie Yakino, and two second round picks. Right. Um, but, you know, I mean, that's this is an awesome move for the Knicks, a team that is, you know, as mid as mid gets when it comes to three-point shooting. I, I looked it up yeah. before this. They're 14th in three-pointers made and three-point percentage. Uh, they go out and they get two scorers who are both 40% shooters from three. And then on top of it, and I'm sure this played a role in it as well, but then we get the OG Ananobi news that he's going to be out for a little bit. They're already missing Julius Randle from the lineup. Uh, you know, Mitchell Robinson might be done for the year. I just saw Isaiah Hartenstein uh, left the game tonight against the Mavericks with an injury. So, you know, they're starting to get banged up a little bit. And they're limited with the amount of players that they have. But bringing in someone like Bojan Bogdanovic, someone like Alec Burks, who's familiar. He was with the Knicks two years ago for two seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just feel like those are two really, really rock-solid acquisitions that the Knicks' biggest issue in the postseason last year was that if it wasn't Jalen Brunson creating because Julius Randle wasn't really having his best playoffs, if it wasn't Jalen Brunson creating, they didn't really have any answers on the offensive end. And these are guys who, you know, I'm not saying Alec Burks is going to go out there and average 20 points per game in the playoffs. He's someone that can give you 20 points in spurts. Like if he, you know, really gets it going or someone that can just kind of loosen things up on the offensive end and score 10 points here and there. Like Boyan Bogdanovich, same way. It's like he's someone that stretches the floor. He's been a 40% three-point shooter for basically his entire career. He's been one of the most consistent three-point shooters in the league since he came over from turkey so it's like you know these are the types of guys that the moves in the margins that we were talking about they're not names that are going to steal headlines and get you know everybody talking on first take and and espn (laughs) and everything like this but it's they're the types of moves that you need to make if you want to get to where the knicks want to be and before they even made that move they were already looking like one of the hottest best teams in the nba they had the best record since the start of the new year and now they make a move like that and it, it goes from being again like a team that could you know maybe at best get to the second round maybe Eastern Conference Finals so like now this is a complete roster that has plenty of depth and can withstand some of the injuries that they're dealing with right now and when everybody gets back and gets healthy that's going to be a really really tough team to beat in the postseason no 100% I like that one um I won't get into mine I'm just gonna say it was it was Royce O'Neal to, to Phoenix he just added another rotational guy who could contribute but I want to talk more about um this Boyan Bogdanovich move and adding Alec Burks um, again, they added they, they parted ways with people that weren't in their rotation. They added two more solid rotational guys that are really going to be helpful on the postseason stage. And Boyan Bogdanovich is good. Like he is yeah. a really good player. I know there was that game where the Pistons made the Celtics sweat um, when they were going through that losing streak. And he was one of the guys who like just went crazy to start the game and, and, and just knows how to contribute. He's a shooter like you mentioned and just a really smart player veteran player who's similar obviously similar but different from Gordon Hayward but has done it all and kind of seen it all you know at varying stages you know during his time with the Jazz um and and what have you so you know I'm thinking about the Knicks I saw somebody it might be a little bit of an exaggeration but I saw somebody say that they now have their most talented roster um this century which there's that 2013 team that ended up losing to the Pacers in the second round they had Melo and Tyson Chandler, Jason Kidd, J.R. Smith, those guys. But that team didn't do that much. And I won't ask you in the lens between 2024 and 2013 because that's irrelevant. But now when you look at the New York Knicks, if they can get healthy, Mitchell Robinson notwithstanding, though I heard and saw reports that he could be getting back on the floor 
which could open the door for him to get back on the floor before the season's over. But where do you think this Knicks team stands in the Eastern Conference? Like same thing, kind of what I said with Oklahoma City. I think they kind of include in, increase their chances of of having some possibilities to make it to the finals with or, or make it out of the Eastern Conference. Just the way the Eastern Conference is set up, and every team kind of has a very clear flaw, them included. But I think they helped themselves, and I would not be completely shocked or surprised if the Knicks made a run. No, I completely agree with you. Like, I mean, all year we've talked about how it feels like the Celtics, I mean, the Celtics have almost kind of like put themselves in a tier of their own in the Eastern Conference. And then like mm-hmm. Philly, it depends on Joel Embiid. But like when Joel right. Embiid is healthy, they are definitely in that second tier with, you know, them, Milwaukee, and then the Cavs are playing really good basketball right mm-hmm. now. Like them and the Knicks kind of feel like they're in that same tier. Like Miami's had its struggles, but like we're still probably going to group them into that <laughs> tier with them just because if we don't, they're going to prove us wrong in the playoffs. Right. Um, but, you know, I think like what the, the thing with the Knicks is that they are just, what were you going to say? The Bucks? Does Doc have the Doc main the no, Bucks? No, no, no. I said mention? Bucks. Oh, no, my no, bad. No, no, no. I said, okay, I said no, okay, you're okay, good. You're good. Okay, you're good. Okay, you okay. paused for a second. You scared me. <laughs> I thought I forgot somebody else. No, no. Oh. I said the Bucks with the 76ers. They're in that okay, second okay, tier. Okay, but, okay, okay. You know, I feel, I feel like the thing with the Knicks is that they are not going to be afraid to play anybody. Like, that is the That's type true. of attitude that this team brings. And honestly, like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to give myself a pat on the back here, but it's like Jalen Brunson just wins. Like, the guy is a proven winner. He won at the high school level. He won twice at the college level. You know, he didn't win with the Mavericks, but he let, helped lead them along with Luka Doncic on a run to the Western Conference Finals. And now, you know, I mean, he led the Knicks to their first playoff series win in God knows how long last year. <laughs> and then now, <laughs> maybe it wasn't that long ago, but it feels ten like years. it was that long ago. Yeah, yeah, 10 years. And then, you know, right now he has that, he's the reason that we're talking about them as a potential Eastern Conference Finals like type right. team. So, you know, that's the type of team that, you know, or the type of energy that he puts around a team. And and I feel like everybody's starting to put their belief in him. And then you add some of the other pieces that they've brought in and guys like OG Ananobi. And then, hmm. you know, you got Julius Randle and you got guys that are stepping up like Dante DiVincenzo and Josh Hart's thriving. And all of a sudden you got a bunch of guys who play with, you know, a ton of heart, a ton of attitude. They dig in on the defensive end. They take pride on the defensive end. They want to play in a rock fight and they want to make things ugly. And they don't care if you're the Bucks or the Celtics or the 76ers or whoever you are, they're going to give you their toughest battle and they're going to take you nine, 10 rounds in a boxing match and mm-hmm. hope for the best. And if they lose, they went out giving you your best effort. And like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but like, it's a really likable team. Like it's a it really is. likable it New is. York it Knicks is. team. And like, I mean, I, I'm sure there are other people out there that, you know, have disdained New York sports teams or whatever it is, but it's like, I don't think anybody could argue that this is, you know, one of the most likable Knicks teams, at least in my lifetime. No, hundred percent. It's funny. Like when you were describing all the attributes for this team, it is literally the prototypical Tom Thibodeau team. Like every mm-hmm. single box that a Tom Thibodeau team should check this one checks as far as playing and hard they have being Tosh gritty. Gibson. and they have and they have to- <laughs> that is the biggest box and it's the first prerequisite to be a trademark tom thibodeau team but the, the last thing i'll say about the knicks is like you said julius Randle, his playoff shortcomings are no secret it happened in 2021 it happened last year but i think having the guys they brought in bogdanovich burks the supporting cast, obviously, but then also the main cast, Jalen Brunson being the guy and also having OG Ananobi to kind of spell a little bit. The pressure should be at its lightest. And so long as he can come back healthy from that shoulder injury, I think we might see a, a, a new and improved playoff Julius Randle, which I think is a big part uh, of what the Knicks need to go far. 
talked about OG Ananobi. We'll talk about his old team, which was very active at this trade deadline after the break. The Raptors were pretty busy at this year's trade deadline. Held on to Bruce Brown, which I think we all expected them not to do, but they couldn't get the deal that they sought for him. That said, out of Toronto, Dennis Schroeder, Thaddeus Young, Otto Porter Jr., Kyra Lewis Jr., and one of the draft picks they got in the Pacers deal, but it's probably going to be like the last pick in the first round or one of the last picks, so didn't really part ways with much there. In to Toronto, Oshai Abaji, welcome home. Kelly Olynyk from Utah. They acquired Spencer Dinwiddie in the Schroeder Thaddeus Young trade, but they're releasing Spencer Dinwiddie. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But that being said, when you look at what the Raptors did and accomplished at the trade deadline, would you consider it a win or a loss? It's kind of like a just somewhere in the middle. I'm going to ride the yeah. fence and mm-hmm. just say that it's like not really a win or a loss. It's As kind LeBron of just says, like win, win, lose, or draw is a draw. Yeah, it was a draw. It was a draw. <laughs> it was a draw. I was gonna I was gonna go with a tie. Um, maybe <laughs> they we're gonna talk in like Canadian terms. They lost in a shootout, uh, so go. they still get one point. But um, <laughs> we'll no, I I I really like Ochai Baji. Like even though he hasn't really figured it out yet at the NBA level, he's someone who you know he had shooting flashes uh, in his senior year at Kansas when he was mm. the most outstanding player in the NCAA tournament, led them to a national championship. Like I, the potential is there as a three and D wing. And I like that the Raptors could maybe get that out of him. He just hasn't shot the ball at the level that he did during his senior year, which was kind of an outlier. Like when you're when, back when I was scouting him, like he didn't really shoot that well his first three years. And then he really put it together his senior year. And it's like, all right, what do you really do with this? Like, is this lightning in a bottle or is this something that's sustainable? And, so far, it hasn't translated to the NBA, but I really like them picking him up uh, in that deal just because he's still only 23 years old and he's going to mm-hmm. have plenty of time to figure it out. And the Raptors are a good organization to try and figure it out. The Kelly Olenek, like, I really thought that Kelly was going to end up somewhere on a contender where he could you know, make an impact towards winning a championship, especially with him being on an expiring deal. Um, but right. I mean, hey, the Raptors are... I, it kind of reminds me of, I don't know if you saw that tweet about the Knicks where they were like, I can't believe the Knicks strategy was just like, what if they're all best friends and it's working? Right. Like yeah. the Raptors are kind of just like, well, what if they're all Canadian and <laughs> will it work? Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. But I, I do like what Kelly Olenek brings to any team, honestly, just as like a floor spacing yeah. shooter. He adds a little bit of front court depth, which they needed. Um, I'm just curious to see, do they plan on extending, like, do they plan on, you know, re-signing him in the off season or are they just going to let him walk and, and, you know, kind of free up salary cap um but you know at the same time it's like with the bruce brown side of things they so he has a 23 million dollar team option this summer and Mm -hmm. they could free up a lot of cap space by moving someone like that or or use him as a trade chip and and move him um you know let someone like kelly olenek walk they already waived uh spencer dinwiddie so you know they're starting to make these moves to look towards the future uh by putting you know young pieces around scotty barnes uh, th- I already thought they did a good job of that in, in acquiring guys like Emmanuel Quickly and RJ Barrett. You got, you and I talked about that before. Um, Bruce Brown Jr. is someone who I think is actually going to look really good in a Raptors jersey for the rest of the season. And who knows, maybe they end up deciding that's the type of guy that they want to hold on to. But if they decide he's not, there's going to be suitors for him because he's already proved he can contribute to winning at the highest level. So, you know, I, I think that the reason that I said they lost in a shootout and still get that one point almost for a tie is because I there were moves that they made that I liked. But at the same time, like, 
it is kind of interesting taking on Kelly Olynyk's contract, depending on what they decide to do with him this offseason. And, and it's kind of a TBD on the Bruce Brown front, just because we don't know what their plan is for him this offseason either. Right. And I, and I agree with you there. And, and also it's better than doing nothing, right? Like this team is 18 and 33 as we record this, who knows uh, where that goes. I think they're 10 and 25 since starting the season eight and eight. So something needed to be done. Like don't, don't stand pat, do something, um, free up some cap space. Um, I looked, I had to look it up and just to make sure, but Kelly Olenek is extension eligible right now. So they could in theory figure out the future right now. Um, you know, that connection with him again, returning home that I'm sure gives not necessarily in terms of a hometown discount, but in terms of just a, a leg up, in, in recruitment and making the case for him to stay and, and hang back. So um, I also saw some people when they were talking about Kelly, Kelly Olenek and his fit with the team, you know, a big man that can space the floor with the shooting and is an excellent playmaker is something that is a gift for a team that has a bunch of young slashing guys, a guy like Scotty Barnes, a guys who need space to operate. I think they're going to benefit a lot. There's pre-existing chemistry with him playing with with rj barrett like these guys know each other's tendencies you know more than typical adversaries would in the nba because they're teammates um when they're competing internationally so i'm excited about that i think you know the the whole idea of trading you know a pick that would probably be 28 29th or whatever in the draft to get abaji who is still a guy who is young 23 years old it's pretty much using that draft pick to take him Right. So you're, mm-hmm. you're you're betting on your player development, another young wing that Darko Ryakovich and staff can work with to develop and mold them kind of into what they envision him being around Scotty Barnes. And he fits the timeline. And also, we didn't mention the connection with him and Grady Dick as two Kansas Jayhawks. That really cool video. You, yeah, you can explain it better than I can because you, you're the one that unearthed it. Yeah, yeah. I actually, so if you haven't seen, if you're a Raptors fan, you haven't seen this yet, or even if you're not a Raptors fan, it's just really cool. Yeah. It almost like kind of gives you goosebumps because um, when Ochag Baji, after four years at Kansas and won the national championship, uh, when he moved out, I guess he left a note in his dorm room um, for the, the next player that came in to live in his room. And it was something along the lines of like, go be great, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And he left it in the drawer. And when Grady Dick moved into his dorm room freshman year, his one and only season at Kansas, he opened the drawer and he goes, oh, look, it's, it's a note. And his mom is in the room as, he's, as she's helping him move into college and everything like that. She's like, oh, who's it from? He's like, oh, it's from Ochai. It was, it was, you know, to the next person who lives in this room, go be great, like rock chalk or something like that. Yeah. And like now they're teammates on the Raptors. And that's really cool. Like that's a, you know, that kind of ties everything together. And, it, and you know, you're talking about how there's already familiarity with Kelly Olenek. Like even though they didn't play together at Kansas, you know, that there's still familiarity there. And those are the types of Absolutely. kind of relationships that they're looking to build in that locker room. And as they're trying to build this team for the future, like that's a young player that, two young players that they're going to, you know, hopefully have for a long time and develop into two guys that can be everyday rotation players and maybe even someday starters. But, you know, real quick, one other thing that I want to mention about Ochag Baji, I feel like I didn't really talk about the first time around because I just said he's the 3 and D prospect. Like this is a guy mm-hmm. who does a lot more. He's not someone that just stands in a corner and shoots threes. Mm-hmm. Like he's right. super active in transition. Like he's someone that's, he's an active slasher off the ball. Um, you know, he doesn't do a ton of ball handling himself, like, you know, dribble drive and get into the rim for layups and whatnot, but he's someone that can make life easier for playmakers, especially playing in transition, especially playing fast. He runs the lanes really well. Uh, he finishes well around the rim. So, you know, he's, he's an athlete and he's someone that I feel like fits the mold of what the Raptors are trying to build around Scotty Barnes. And, you know, again, it's, it comes down to that shooting. Like if he can start shooting the ball 
at the level that he did during that senior year when they made that national championship run, then we're talking about a player who could, you know, be an everyday rotation player and maybe even a starter at some point down the line. Yeah, this is a former lottery pick, by the way, people. Like, he was a lottery pick for a reason. It's kind of crazy to think he's been traded twice in his career already. He was drafted by the Cavs, and then part Mm -hmm. of the Donovan Mitchell trade ended up in Utah, and now he's in Toronto. One more thing I want to say about him and his connection with Grady. Like, just because they didn't play together, like you were saying, like, Grady Dick is from Wichita, Kansas. So, like, you best believe that, like, he was who was who was hosting him there on his visits when he was going to play pickup with the guys at Kansas. They know each other, like, absolutely, especially a tight-knit family like Kansas basketball is. So, like, that's a great connection. And the other thing I'll say to close and put a bow on this is that, you know, I see. I see it on Raptors Twitter. We're connected. Like, people aren't having fun watching these games a lot of times. Like, even in wins, like, people aren't really having fun. The moves that they're making, this is going to be a fun team. Like, a guy mm-hmm. like Oshai Abaji, like, the way he plays above the rim, he's really athletic. They're getting younger. Kelly Olenek, you know, they're getting they're getting younger. They're, they're adding some guys who fans are familiar with. I think the product's going to be better, and sometimes it needs to get worse before it gets better. But, you know, thinking about the depth chart, thinking about the different lineups they can employ, things they'll be able to try. Um, obviously, trading Dennis Schroeder, not much point guard depth right now. Maybe we'll see more Marquise Noel as the season winds down. We're going to see a lot of points, Scotty, um, and, and all of that. And by the way, I'm not even going to wait till the end. Shout out to Scotty Barnes, by the way, all star, first time all star, named yep. as an injury replacement. Scotty uh, in the Eastern Conference uh, along. Scotty Barnes is going to be an all star. Darko Ryakovich told us it happened. Um, but Scotty Barnes, you have a 22 year old all star. Like, not a lot of teams can ever say that they've had that. I think he's the second youngest all star in franchise history. Um, so when you're building around them, sometimes it's bad. We can think about what happened in OKC and how it was pretty bad. And at first it was bad and not fun. Then it was bad and fun. And now look at them, right? So, like, mm-hmm. it's up to Bobby Webster and Masai Ujiri to, like, build the right way. But they are now stockpiling all the right things they need to do to do that. I guess just now, as we talked about today with Steph, no, they need to make sure. I'm not going to endorse openly tanking, but they do need to make sure they keep that pick and it doesn't go down to San Antonio. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, even in a draft class that isn't, uh, you know, one that is as talented as the one that we saw last year with Victor Weminyama, Scoot Henderson, Brandon Miller, all those guys, like there are still contributors in this draft class. Mm-hmm. And I'm confident there are guys that the Raptors would really, really love to have on their roster. So to your point, you know, you got to make sure that pick does not go to San Antonio. Is it lottery protected? What, what's Top the protection six. on that? Top, Top six, six protected. Okay. Top, Top six. six protected. So, yeah, I mean, you know, there's the there's the benchmark for Raptors fans for the rest of the year. When you're watching this team, hopefully enjoying what you're watching and then following the standings along with that, just make sure they don't land in that top six on lottery night. Yeah, keep your eye on the Memphis Grizzlies. As of today, the Grizzlies and Raptors actually were tied for the sixth worth record in the NBA. So you might be sweating that one out. Who knows? Again, like the Raptors are going downhill, but the Grizzlies just are just super hurt. They don't have any players. So, mm-hmm. like, they're trying. But, you know, it is it is what it is. But then also other teams, you know, Hornets, Pistons, Wizards, Spurs, um, they're the teams. So I'm missing one. I'm not, the bad teams aren't coming straight to me right now. Uh, but uh, Trailblazers are the teams that have worse records than the Raptors right now. But I think the Raptors are just like three games ahead, behind. I don't know how you use it in this. In this. The Raptors <laughs> have won three more games than Portland right now. But again, there's over 30 games left to play. So we'll see how that unfolds. Now we talked about the Raptors not moving Bruce Brown at the top of the show. We talked a little bit about 
The Lakers standing pat. DeJounte Murray standing in Atlanta for now. Um, Bulls didn't make a deal, much to the chagrin of Bulls fans everywhere. Kings didn't make a deal. Pelicans, I think I saw on Pelicans Twitter that this is the David Griffin's been in New Orleans for five seasons now, and this is the third deadline where they made no moves. So what is your assessment of these teams? I know the Lakers have some strategy behind why they didn't do it. So I guess we can start with that. The Lakers didn't make any deals at the trade deadline because they think that this summer, when they're able to trade three first-round picks instead of the one that they were allowed to trade today, they can make a run for either Donovan Mitchell or Trey Young. They also know that they will be a top destination for buyout candidates because they can offer more money and they're confident in the return of Jared Vanderbilt and Gabe Vincent, who are both currently out with injuries. I guess it makes sense to like not part ways with valuable players and draft compensation if you think that you're only improving in the margins. Do you think the Lakers made the right choice to not do anything? I mean, if they couldn't get DeJounte Murray, and I really like that fit. I know some people didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't I don't mind what they did, especially like, I mean, hey, maybe they're thinking pie in the sky with guys like Donovan Mitchell and Trey Young. I mean, they also might not be, though, because anybody would love to go to L.A. and help LeBron chase another ring and Anthony Davis and everything like that. Obviously, it comes with a lot of pressure, but, you know, I feel like guys like Trey Young, Donovan Mitchell, whoever would love that spotlight. Um, but, you know, that's down the road. I, I do think that, like, right now, in the here and now, um, they don't have that many assets. They don't have that many valuable future assets. So they have to be very careful, very delicate with the ones they have and make sure that it's the right move. Uh, because we already saw, you know, what can go wrong in the past if they kind of just throw them around willy nilly and hope that it works out. I mean, we saw what happened with the Russell Westbrook trade and that didn't exactly pan out for him. So, you know, I think it actually does make sense, even though Lakers fans are probably a little bit upset that they did nothing. I think that it is actually the right move to kind of hold on to their assets, make sure that they're getting the most value out of the, the limited assets that they have, and then pile them all together. And it's easier to make a deal in the off season anyway. Like that is something that all of these insiders continue to harp on every year at the trade deadline is it's, it's a lot harder to get a, de- a deal done mid season, but if they wait until the off season, then maybe some of these stars do become available because you know, the Hawks got eliminated in the first round of the playing tournament or the Cavs had another early first round exit or something like that. And then stars are disgruntled and they become available and LA is always going to be a destination. So I actually do think that the Lakers made the right move. Now on the flip side though, I'm disappointed the Bulls did not make a move and I'm disappointed the Kings didn't make a move. I just feel like for the Bulls, they are just stuck in mediocrity and maybe the right deal didn't come to fruition for them. And, you know, maybe Zach Levine was really the trade chip that they were planning on moving, but then he has a season ending injury and you can't really trade him anymore because he doesn't have the immediate value. So maybe that all kind of, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe that kind of threw a wrench into their trade deadline plans. But for like a team like Sacramento, like they're, it's pretty clear that right now they're kind of stuck at where they're at, which is, Hey, a top six team in the West. That's really solid. They got two all-star caliber players who are not named all-stars, but all-star caliber mm. players in Darren Fox and Demonis Sabonis. They have a valuable player in Keegan Murray, who a lot of, a lot of teams would like, but it seems like they pulled his name from the trade block, but they're still left with guys like Kevin Herter, uh, guys like Harrison Barnes, who I feel like they maybe could have moved and gotten some new pieces or, or or maybe something exciting just to switch things up and make yeah. a move and they decided to sit on their hands. So that one kind of threw me through a wrench uh through me, you know, through a loop a little bit. But at the same time the the Bulls not making any moves kind of confused me as well. I don't know how you felt about either of those deadlines. 
It's funny because like I said, we see so much just from the people we know and then like connections. And, and I think because we know personally a couple Bulls fans, we get fed a lot of Bulls content um, on, our, on our little For You pages on X. Um, and I think that like their fans have a right to be as upset as they are, like to not do anything and continue to just kind of continue this loop of, hey, we'll maybe finish 10th or 9th, uh, maybe. And we'll be, and I think there was a, a quote today where one of their guys in the front office were like misspoke on how far they are from a top six seed in the Eastern Conference. And like, they're very fortunate. We've given them a shout out recently that Kobe White is being the player that he is. And DeMar DeRozan is just, you know, probably going to be a top, you know, 30 adjacent player for the remainder of his career, but also an impending free agent. So, yeah, I was fully expecting the Bulls to do something and, and kind of prove everybody wrong. But then they proved everybody right uh, and didn't do anything. The Pelicans are in an interesting spot as we as we record this there. We're, uh, you know, a night off of the, the Pelicans having a really impressive win in, in Los Angeles against the Clippers to show just kind of what they're capable of doing. Um, and, and I think continuity is what they're prioritizing. Uh, they were mentioned as a sleeper for DeJounte Murray. Few of my friends that are Pelicans fans were very against that, um, and it might have been at the cost of of Herb Jones. I think they're just kind of doubling down on who they have, and, and health is a big part of that. And we hopefully can see Zion Williamson on the playoff stage for the first time this year. So I'm not mad at the Pelicans, given how how young they are, and continuity could could benefit a young team a lot. So we'll see how that plays out. Now I know we talked about the Lakers and the other half of their strategy is that hey, we're in Southern California, we didn't use our whole mid level exception last summer. We got a little more money for you buyout guys who might be interested in coming to play in L.A. next to LeBron, next to Anthony Davis. Kind of feels like Suge Knight recruiting people to death, bro. If you <laughs> if you want to be on if you want to be on ESPN once a week and, and you know this and that, come to the Lakers. Um, <laughs> so speaking of the buyout market, I know you wrote a story about the guys that it's not necessarily as robust as it's been in years past, but there are some names. What names intrigue you, and do you think they could land anywhere or, or ideal landing spots for any of the names that intrigue you? Well, I mean, Spencer Dinwiddie is the first one that popped up, yep. you know, with the whole thing with the Raptors waving him. So that way, you know, they didn't have to pay the bonus that he was going to get for games played and things like that. Um, but, you know, I mean, is he exactly what the Lakers need? I don't think so. But I also think they're in a moment, like, in a, they're having a moment where they're like, we need to acquire all the talent we can get. And if that's the way that, you know, we have to acquire talent, even if, they don't necessarily need another scoring guard. Like, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie is someone that I feel like can come in and make an impact off the bench for LA. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's other there's other names out there that intrigue me. Like, you know, Marcus Morris Sr. is someone that maybe could go to LA and, and find a way to make it work. Uh, another name that I have out there, Danilo Gallinari, who I had, written, yep. I had written down uh, as a potential bio candidate. It hadn't officially been announced that he was going to get bought out at the time that I wrote that article. But then right before we hopped on here, actually, it was announced that he is going to get waived by the Pistons. So he will hit the buyout market. So, you know, those are kind of the types of players that I'm expecting the Lakers to at least entertain some veterans that can fill holes in the roster. Are they going to be every single day players? And are they going to be every game contributors? Probably not. But mm-hmm. I mean, maybe Spencer Dinwiddie could be, you know, I mean, he's right. having, a, he was having 30. a rough year. Yeah, he is. He's 30. He was having a rough year in Brooklyn, but I still feel like that's kind of, that was kind of a weird situation for him anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe he could be an everyday contributor for the, for the Lakers, but you know, guys like Marcus Morris, guys like Danilo Gallinari, um, you know, I don't think if, if they were to end up in LA, I don't think they would be everyday contributors, but I do think that they could help out, um, you know, in a few spots here and there. 
Yeah, I need to double check the Lakers roster as it stands, but it might behoove them to add Marcus Morris Sr. Because if I recall correctly, I actually know this. LeBron James has never won an NBA championship without a Kansas Jayhawk as his teammate. So if they want to win. <laughs> there's your guilt factor of the day, everybody. There's your factor of the day. If you want to win, bring Marcus Morris in. Um, another name I saw I didn't even recognize he had been waived was Joe Harris. Um, he's one who could bring some shooting to a team in need of it. Also, I, the, the one that stands out to me, and it's not even a major name, but I, I just feel like somebody's going to sign Daniel House Jr. And they're going to be like, oh, man, like this guy made a couple game-winning plays for a playoff team or like a play-in team. He's going to play for a, a team that can compete. Um, and we know what he brings to the table. He's a six six wing with some size. So um, he stands out. The, the follow-up question I have for you with that actually – Two former lottery picks were waived today, and Killian Hayes and James Booknight. Do you think that anybody out there might take a flyer on one or both of them? I'm glad you brought that up because before we were going to the next segment, I was going to interject and say that there is one more name that I want to throw out there, Uh-oh. and it is Killian Hayes. Okay. Um, I mean, he has not been good so far in the NBA. His offense has been a disaster. His defense has not been at the level that you know people who scouted him, myself included, expected uh, you know, how his defensive game could have translated to the NBA. Um, it has not been, but he's still only 22 years old. So like, this is someone who he was a number seven overall pick. It didn't work out in Detroit. It wasn't exactly a good situation for him in Mm -hmm. Detroit though, in the roster that was, I'm not saying they built the roster around him, but the roster that was around him wasn't playing to his strengths. It's not like it was a bunch of shooters who can make life easier for him as a playmaker, everything like that. Killian Hayes is a name that I am very intrigued to see which team takes a flyer on him because it won't be. The, at least I don't think it will be like the type of contender that we usually see, um, you know, kind of scoop up some of these bio players. I feel like Killian Hayes is going to end up on one of those rebuilding teams that, like you said, they're just going to take a flyer on this guy and hey, maybe it works out. Hopefully it does. If it doesn't, you know, no love lost and they didn't really have to give up much to get him. But I do believe that, you know, I feel like he is someone who could in the right situation, eventually find his groove and be a solid NBA player. James Booknight on the other end, I'm not so sure if that's the case. I, I just, he's super inefficient. Uh, he struggles to do the only thing that he's supposed to do well, which is score the ball. Um, he didn't obviously get a great shake in Charlotte. Again, not a great situation, but I'm not sure how much situation is going to change anything. Killian Hayes, I have a little bit of hope for. James Booknight, not as much. So when you're talking about Killian Hayes, are you saying that he's a Toronto Raptor? Um, you know, they need a, they need a guard. And they I mean, could take a honestly, flyer on him. I mean, I'm a little disappointed uh, myself that I didn't draw those two lines together. But I actually like, why not? I, I mean, he can't really shoot, and you know, I mean, that's kind of been a history. <laughs> hasn't stopped him before. Yeah, it hasn't stopped him before <laughs> exactly. But you know what? I mean, why not? Like, why? Why wouldn't they give him someone like Killian Hayes a shot? I feel like he, you know, is Toronto going to be the best situation for him to kind of maximize his potential? I'm not sure, but you know, if anybody could get it out of him. Why not the Raptors play development program? I've got one more for you. Maybe you another got? team that could use a guard that maybe has another guy who speaks French on their team who could use a guard feeding him the ball. I don't know. I mean, I, the Spurs are a team that I feel like a lot of people are kind of drawing that line, and I do like it. I do. I just um, – they got to get themselves a real point guard, man. I mean, Trey Jones is great. Trey Jones has been great. Don't get me wrong. But, I mean, we – come on. Victor Weminyama already looks so good. Like, how long are we just going to be? Uh, it's only been, I, I say how long. It's only been a couple months. But, like, we can't really, <laughs> like, just yeah. just have, like, these trial and error 
programs for at the point guard position for Victor Wembanyama. Yeah. Let's go get him a real talent. Hey, if Killian Hayes wants to develop, you know, in the background, uh, doing like dribble and drills on the sideline or something, he's <laughs> watching. Then, then you know, I mean, I don't, I don't mind that. I don't mind that for the Spurs. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So, so we'll see. I've, I've, I'm sure we'll we'll uh, we'll look back at our conversation uh, about this, and uh, I'm sure he'll land somewhere. And I actually do think, like we talked, we were really high on him, and it was a really weird draft. It was the COVID impacted draft, and like he was coming from overseas he's he's French but he's playing in Germany and again Detroit just given everything that's happened with that franchise over the past four years it's hard to kind of judge completely I do think he deserves one more shot he has the tools so we'll see uh kind of how that plays out now real quick we're we're recording this you'll hear this before all-star weekend and we'll be back to you before all-star weekend but I want to run through a couple of things that's going on at all-star weekend and just get your thoughts on it we don't have to make picks or anything like that but we know what the skills challenge looks like. It's team Pacers, team top picks, which I think is pretty unique. Paolo Bancaro, Anthony Edwards, and Victor Wimbanyama, team all-stars, three-point context. We got Malik Beasley, Jalen Brunson, Tyrese Halliburton, defending champ, Damian Lillard, Lowry Markin, and Donovan Mitchell, Carl Anthony Towns, and Trey Young. Of course, Steph versus Sabrina, which we talked about last week in the dunk contest. Jaime Hawkes Jr., Jacob Toppin. Defending champion Mac McClung. Well, I guess it's disrespectful. I didn't say him last, but also we have an All Star, All NBA guy in it, Jalen Brown. Are you I, I no picks? But are you excited about the field uh, that we have and, and the way things have lined up for for Saturday night? I feel like you and I are like the worst people to ask that type of question to because we're the type of people that for our entire <laughs> we'll find lives, good at it. We're, we are going to find good at it, man. We're the two type of people that are just going to, we're going to be sitting our butts on the couch on All-Star Saturday night, no matter what. And it could be, you know, they could be rolling out eighth graders out there and we'd probably watch them <laughs> compete in the three-point contest and have them lower the dunk, con- lower the hoop the dunk contest and stuff. So I, I'm still going to be locked in. I'm still excited about it. I mean, I do think that, I think it's cool that Jalen Brown is kind of, I don't want to call it falling on the sword because he's just participating in the dunk contest. But I do think that it's cool that he's, you know, an all-star that's stepping up and he's going to try and bring some life back. You spoke to that it up too. Yeah, I did. I did. And I said, I didn't think he's someone who would, who would actually do the dunk contest, but Hey, he proved me wrong and I'm excited about it. I think that he should uh, put Giannis Antetokounmpo out there and then dunk on him. Like he usually does. I feel like that would be a good way to, you know, kind of ring in the ring in the slam dunk contest. But uh, I do want to throw out one other thing though. And it was a conversation that me and my roommate had the other night, seeing yeah. that, that top picks team for the skills challenge of yeah. Anthony Edwards, Paulo Bencaro and Victor Wembanyama. It got me thinking that would be a really, really, really fun three-on-three team in that it would be really dope if at All-Star Weekend, I understand the injury aspect of it in that maybe players would be hesitant to participate or or teams and owners in the Players Association would be hesitant to spark something like that. But like it did kind of get my brain going of like, man, a three-on-three tournament at All-Star Weekend would be really cool. I mean, with the push that 3x3 has had, like, oh, maybe we don't do the, the FIBA rules of it. But again, like 3x3 is now an Olympic sport. So like... Mm-hmm. why not make it an all-star weekend sport switch it up a little bit like who knows like it could be something that they end up doing or they do it in nhl uh they do three on three on three yeah whatever for the all-star game i think they do for the all-star game is three on three so i mean you know if things get stale switch things up um but anyway as we wrap up here i already gave you a shout out we already gave scotty barnes shout out for being an all-star I already gave you a shout out for speaking Jalen brown's all-star slam dunk candidacy into existence but any more shout outs for the week you're going to team me up first, and I kind of feel like we might have the same shout-out this week. I just feel it. I feel it in my gut. My shout-out goes uh, to Brandon Miller. And okay, a lot Miller. of people, maybe Our myself included, also, yeah, yeah, a lot of people, myself included, owe him an apology because he yeah. has been really, really good awesome. ever since the, tra- the Terry Rozier trade. He has stepped up. 
into filling that scoring role. Over the last 12 games, Brandon Miller is averaging 23 points per game on almost 50% shooting from the field and 40% shooting from three. He, at the time of recording, he has had six straight games with 20 points. Two of those are 30 balls. The Paul George comparisons are shining. He's getting it done on both ends of the floor. We saw that highlight the other night where he had the monster chase down block and then a deep yep. three in transition Boom. on the other end. The Hornets, we didn't really talk about them much, like them specifically, but I love that they t- started to take a direction at this year's trade deadline. And, you know, they're they're starting to build around him, LaMelo Ball, Mark Williams. I mean, who knows what they'll do with Miles Bridges and stuff like that. But they're starting to take a direction. And I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Maybe the Hornets got it right. Wow. Well, I, I'm giving you a digital handshake right now because <laughs> my shout out actually was the Hornets front office and their new ownership because <laughs> hey, I read okay. I read I read online that like all of these moves and the, their trade deadline approach was heavily influenced by uh, the, the new people that have stepped in. And Michael Jordan still has a little influence the front office. Um, but you talked about how awesome Brandon Miller has been. I think it's made some of their decisions easier and they pretty much said it's obvious anybody not named LaMelo Ball. Brandon Miller or Mark Williams is available. Now, mm-hmm. Miles Bridges had a no trade clause essentially that he said he was going to put in, in the motion. I know there were teams interested in him and, and whatever, but that they have that three, that core of three players, they were able to get value in return. Um, you know, bringing Seth Curry in, it isn't his brother, but still that brings some excitement uh, around the team. Brandon Miller, I think, is bringing excitement around the team. And I was listening to Paul George on his podcast with Dante Jones talk about how he was as a rookie and like seeing the parallels and seeing how he plays and thinking about how much better he can get moving forward. Um, The Hornets have a a sense of direction now. And there's just been, again, a lot of disdain and like just frustration around the organization. So to take matters into your own hands like today and make very definitive moves they're like hey we're building around these three guys for our future that's great and i think that that deserves you know some applause and and definitely excitement for this team and and again we're on the same page here i'm excited to see what brandon miller lamella ball and mark williams can be you know as the trio and the Hornets will get a draft pick too they're going to pick early early in the draft this year and and they kind of can afford to draft for need again in in a draft like this one so um not saying they're going to be a playoff team you know next year or whatever you what have you but like i think you know, they can they can steps in the right direction. Maybe if they get some more developmental minded people, coaching staff, whatever, things could be could be better for this team. We could revisit this shout out maybe two trade deadlines from now and talk about the deal <laughs> that they made that, that pushes them in the top six in the Eastern Conference. But until then, we'll see. Thanks for tuning in and thanks for your patience for this week's episode of NBA Sound System. We'll be back in a few days. Getting you geared up for this year's All-Star Weekend, which is taking place in Indianapolis. It's going to be fun. You know, like you said, me and Kyle will be locked in regardless of who's participating, what they're doing, where they're playing. They are playing on an LED court. By the way, real quick, what are your thoughts on the LED court they're doing also Saturday night on? There's a whole lot going on. There's a lot going on. We'll we'll have to take that to the next pod. (laughs) (laughs) We we have to get our our old man takes off uh, next week. We complain (laughs) about the LED court. But until then, thank you for tuning in to NBA Sound System and subscribing wherever you get your podcast. For Kyle Irving, my name is Gil McGregor. We will catch you next week.